Welcome to the ENA Podcast. Welcome back. This is the ENA Podcast. I'm Dan Campana, the Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association, welcoming you to the latest episode. And uh, hopefully you've downloaded and listened to all of our episodes that we've uh, produced this year on a variety of topics. And today, um, I'm happy to welcome Charlene Drelu, a clinical development specialist at Rhode Island Hospital and Hasbro Children's Hospital. Talk a little bit about pediatric accidental exposure. Uh, welcome, Charlene. Thank you. It's nice to be there. So, Charlene, uh, first off, tell us a little bit about your background and, and really about uh, your focus in the area of pediatric emergency care. So um, I spent um, the better part of my career in a pediatric emergency department, a level one trauma center. And um, it was um, the career that I wanted and I loved it. And one of my biggest interests was this, how to prevent injury in children. And what we find is that there's a, there's a huge problem with um, children and the hand being quicker than the eye and people not actually paying attention to what they're doing on any given time. Um, I currently teach all the, the pediatric um, emergency department nurses and all of the pediatric nurses. I spend a lot of time um, working with the Rhode Island Emergency Nurses Association um, to um, work on injury prevention as well. So one of the things I've learned you know, in meeting members over the last year and a half or so is that pediatric is so much different than just everyday trauma care with adults. Uh, children have different levels of complex acuity and they don't necessarily respond or speak or talk about what's going on the same way adults do. Uh, is, is that an understatement when it comes to the differences between pediatric and other types of emergency care? Um, that is by no means an understatement. Um, children um, only tell you what they want you to know. You could have a child that speaks very clearly on any given day and you ask them their name and they go mute. So <laughs> you're not gonna get a lot of information from children. Sure. So uh, the, the presentation you're going to be uh, bringing to Austin for Emergency Nursing 2019 focuses on pediatric accidental exposures. Uh, first off, tell me a little bit about what that actually means. So I would prefer to call them pediatric preventable exposures, but you don't want to offend anybody. But they are accidental exposures in the sense that um, there are things available that children can get access to that they should not have access to. Um, some of the things that I'll be talking about in Austin are the things that mimic other things that children can eat <laughs> and can put in their mouths. And um, because of, they're so similar to those, the children do put them in their mouth. And as a, as a result, they're harmed. So is this predominantly one type of thing? Is it objects? Is it medications? Is it, what, what, are, what are sort of the, the parameters of, of things that could be these types of exposures? Um, medications, um, tools in the house, animals, um, all kinds of things, um, lizards and turtles and all of these things that children can get access to and no one has any idea. So when when you look at this as a topic and how this bring you know ties back into the ED, um, again, so children aren't necessarily explaining what's really happening, and I would imagine this also means that parents often don't know what exactly might have occurred. They just know something's wrong and they bring them in. Uh, how do you sort of bridge those gaps there to understand the best way to to go about treating you know these smaller and younger patients? Um, by being Sherlock Holmes, really, because um, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out from a history what could have occurred. Um, you also do assessments, right? Um, one of the focuses of this uh, top 
because is that these things that they have access to will oftentimes mimic other illnesses. And as a result, um, it makes it harder to treat the patient and can result in misdiagnosis. So really it's asking the right questions or just asking the right number of questions? Uh, more, um, well, both. Yeah, ask the correct questions with the with the hope that you'll get the response that you want. But if you don't feel like you have clarity, then you just keep asking questions until you um, get the answer that you need. But in the interim, you have to um, treat the patient's symptoms. So with, with this particular area, with, with pediatric exposures, is there, what really kind of drove your passion in this direction out of all things that are pediatric related in ED? I think that I probably took care of every accidental ingestion for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I, it kind of felt that way to me. But, um, you know, you have, um, there was a, there was a two-year-old that came in in like almost a full cardiac arrest who um, had a rhythm here and rhythm there and then had no rhythm and it was very complicated and it took us all the time we're treating the child it took about 30 minutes for somebody to say she probably got into grandma's cardiac meds so really just like you said that sherlock holmes aspect of really right? kind of, you know picking and picking your way through those things um, there are a lot of opportunities for kids to get into things. That's really no different. But now you have different complications, particularly maybe on the drug side of things. And you talk about um, uh, the, the prevalent, more prevalence of, of uh, medicinal marijuana and obviously in, in areas and states where marijuana has some legalization. Now you have other types of products, whether it be edibles or things that are made to look like children's you know, uh, products that are obviously not. Um, is that just another layer of complication here, or is this just a different way of, of coming at the same problem that, that has always been out there? Well, there's another layer of complication to it because um, you know that they're available, but again, because the kids present um, so similar to other things, anytime a child presents that is not conscious or is um, somewhat somnolent, uh, there's a lot of things that run in, run through your brain. I mean, sometimes you think they may have a brain injury, there may be some abuse there or something, but folks don't generally look for um, levels of marijuana in children. And as a result, the, they miss it completely. So you, the normal is like three nanograms um, and kids will present with like 494 nanograms and be somnolent or um, completely obtunded and nobody has any idea. There, uh, pediatric is somewhat intimidating if you don't work in a pediatric ED or a pediatric hospital. What are some of the things that you offer to ED nurses in general and sort of guidelines or ways that they can maybe find a little bit more, find themselves a little more at ease in, in working with those patients? So I would say to someone that doesn't normally take care of a pediatric patient to make sure that um, you do a very thorough clinical assessment. I mean, because I think that that's probably one of the most important things and that the, the oftentimes the, um, the information that you're getting is either inaccurate or not sufficient to give you the information that you need. So you have to rely on the fact that you're a nurse and that you can do an assessment on a patient. So if you think that, you know, they've gotten into something or you're not sure, you know, pupillary assessments, um, checking for toad and those types of things in smaller children. But in, in the older children, you know, you it, it's kind of a guessing game. So it's all about assessment and history. When it comes to parents or caregivers, you know, teachers or whoever it may be that is the, the person that brings these children in, 
there's a different type of complication there. One, because parents will often maybe not be aware or caregivers may not be aware of what they've gotten into. But there's there's also maybe some hesitancy if maybe they feel as though they've um, maybe not been as mindful or watchful, or, you know, watching as closely. And so that's another piece in this, I would imagine. Uh, what about interacting with parents or caregivers when a child comes in and, and you can't get the answers from the child, so now you're turning to the parents or the caregiver for more information? Um, to be not judgmental is um, the largest part of that conversation. Um, you have to approach people with the um, attitude that you are trying to elicit information to take care of their child and not to punish them for something that may have occurred. I mean, accidents happen, you know, it's not always, um, you know, an illegal drug or a legal drug or anything. It could be almost anything. Yeah, I had a child that swallowed a wall anchor, right? So you're you're bagging her and her airway is fine. And then when you stop, she's not breathing, right? And it took us quite a while to figure it out. And the mother said I was hanging some pictures on on the drywall, right? So there you go. So it it didn't, um, you know, she... We didn't accuse her of anything. We just asked her, like, what was going on at the time that this happened. So one, one of these things that's mentioned in, in your uh, your presentation is pets. And, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind are the more obvious things, uh, you know, uh, a dog bite or, you know, something to that effect. But I imagine that what you're talking about when it relates to pets may be something a little bit more uh, you know, less obvious, obviously. So what, what are some things that maybe, um, you know, when you're asking those questions, you're trying to get to the heart of really what's going on. When you talk about pets, what are some of the behind the scenes things that may go on with pets? Is it just transferring something that is it maybe a, a, a disease of some type or, or what are, how do pets really play into this outside of the obvious, maybe bites or bruising type things that could happen? Right. So, um, if you can have passive pets, right? Like a turtle that lives in a tank and, um, Technically, you shouldn't have any kind of um, a turtle or a lizard or anything in your house with children less than five because they can transmit um, botulism and things like that because they're soil animals. And so uh, nobody really gets that. I mean, we actually had a case um, of a child that was exposed. And if the, you're talking a day later, the nurse is in conversation with a parent with their intubated child and they're going and she says yeah you know we have a bearded dragon at home and you know and the and the, and the nurse says a what <laughs> and uh so she finds you know the pediatric pediatric intensive intensivist and they um send off a um a botulism test and the baby actually had infant botulism and needed a special drug that you can only get from the California Department of Health and it was all very dramatic but if that that was in a passing conversation it never came up for like 30 hours. That's amazing to think that something that simple really kind of set the tone for what the treatment actually could be. Absolutely. A bit of an almost an afterthought not deliberately obviously but a bit of an afterthought sort of the conversation. So we mentioned that you're going to be at uh, Emergency Nursing 2019 in Austin, and I've had a chance to get a sense of, of what your presentation is about, you know, without giving too much away because we want people to come out and see you in Austin. But give us kind of an idea of what, uh, you know, what they can expect in terms of the case studies or the stories that you have that, you know, really drive home the point about how this is a topic that any ED nurse can really, you know, take something away from. Right. And so that this is um, my passion with talking about these things is that there are a number of children that go to EDs where they're not specifically pediatric emergency department nurses. So I'm going to be looking to um, give um, all nurses um, some 
just some ways to elicit the information that they need. And if they can't get any verbal information, um, some assessment techniques that they can use, or maybe some lab studies that they can get that might help them to actually figure out what's going on with the patient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about um, why children are at risk, um, some of the things that they're more at risk for that people don't actually realize. I mean, we've had kids that have been exposed to things that by no stretch of the imagination did we think they could ever be exposed to. Um, asking questions about how you're storing things. Um, do you, does anybody take any medications in the house? Who were they last with? Um, who are they spending time with? Because if they're in grandma's house, grandma may be taking something that mom doesn't even know about yet. You know, so it's, it'll be important for them to have just some tools to take away to elicit information that they may not be otherwise able to get. And I imagine that you'll expand on sort of the ideas that we talked here, whether it's, it's um, you know, everyday medications, whether it's uh, uh, illicit drugs that may be illegal or not or, or legal in the area that you live in. Uh, even the more common things such as the pets and the opportunities that pets can pass things along that, you know, um, as you mentioned in the, the turtle example or the bearded dragon example. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, things like e-cigarettes and the vaping liquids and things like that, which have obviously taken a very, wow. uh, you know, prominent yeah. role in recent years. And I, I've, I've even come across one case study where the vaping liquid was stored inside a children's Motrin bottle and one parent knew it and the other one didn't and actually overdosed, you know, gave the child what they thought was Motrin when it turned out to be vaping, vaping liquid. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot to try to, to sort through on this. And I imagine that people can walk away with some better tools and better understanding of how prominent this can be from a pediatric standpoint. Absolutely. And I will be talking about e-cigarettes and exposures to uh, the, the vaping liquids because um, they're flavored. I mean, um, the, the FDA and the DEA are looking to remove flavors from anything that might entice a child. But in the interim, they're still out there and um, they're easily confused for other things. I mean, most people don't even know that, um, you know, a, a, a jewel pod contains the equivalent of 20 cigarettes um, worth of nicotine. So there's a lot of scary things that are out there. There's a lot this of scary like, things. Yeah. It sounds like this is an opportunity to really sort of demystify some of those things, especially if you're not in a pediatric ED or, or don't regularly see pediatric patients. So just a few more tools in the tool belt. Exactly. So, Charlene, I appreciate you uh, you joining us on the ENA podcast to give us a little bit of a preview of what they can ex uh, uh, members and attendees can expect coming to Austin uh, later this year. Anything else you want to offer in terms of a uh, you know sort of a, a tease as to what people can expect you know if they come to your presentation in a couple of months? Um, I think they might look at fentanyl patches a little bit differently. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's, um, there, there's just some very interesting things that are occurring with um, children these days that I, I don't think anybody has a clue or that they would suspect. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken about this um, to some other adult nurses um, and they're mortified. They're like, I'm never letting my kid out of my sight again. You know, it's, um, it, it's one of those things where you have to really think about um, where you leave your children and who you leave them with. Well, and I, I think that's a, that's a good general tip in general for anybody who has children, but certainly to be aware of that and understanding what, you know, what could come in the door and how to get to the, the heart of the matter when you've got a sick child who is, you know, obviously in some distress, you know, and, and not really able to explain what's going on. So Charlene Drelu, I appreciate you joining us here on the ENA podcast, and we look forward to, uh, to see you in Austin uh, in late September. Thank you. 
So that'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. If you want to learn more about Emergency Nursing 2019 and to register, just go to ena.org slash ENA19. You'll have all of the educational sessions, including Charlene's, as well as registration information, uh, the other events that'll be going on, including the ENA Weird Fest Foundation Party. So there's a lot to look forward to uh, when we get to Austin in a few months. So uh, that'll do it this time around. We look forward to joining you next time on the ENA podcast.